One of the reasons why San Antonio is doing so well on this issue is because we have taken the time to brief people who are running for office that represent San Antonians about tech equity and telecommunication policy issues. Whenever somebody runs for office, regardless of their political party affiliation, I say, I want to talk to you about digital inclusion. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And it's been a little while since I said that because we'd recorded a bunch of episodes and then the little traveling, got the team together out here, and now we're back. We're recording more shows. And today we're back with Deanne Cuellar, who is the state director for OATS, which is the Older Adults Technology Services, um, which is a wonderful group working on digital inclusion efforts. Welcome to the show, Deanne. Thanks for having me. This is uh, exciting because I don't know if people realize it, but you're you're in San Antonio. You're uh, you've been in San Antonio in a variety of positions, both working for the city government, nonprofits, and thinking a lot about digital inclusion, how to make sure everyone can take advantage of the internet, everyone has access to it, stuff like that. Um, and San Antonio has has quietly become a leader. Um, you know, I think it's it's not only is it one of the largest cities in America, but like of the top 100 cities in population in the United States, almost none of them have anything even close to what San Antonio is doing around broadband. And so we're going to talk about how that came to be and what it is. Um, but do you want to tell us a little bit about OATS first, and then uh, we'll talk about what San Antonio just announced? Uh, Older Adults Technology Services from AARP, which is our full name, is our nonprofit organization. And Senior Planet is one of our popular flagship programs. And our mission, you know, to shorten it, is that we work at the intersection of aging and technology. And we currently work on all three legs of the stool as it relates to digital divide. Excellent. Those three legs are? Uh, Ownership of a high quality device, uh, a certain level of digital literacy, and also access to free or affordable high speed internet. Excellent. The three-legged stool, which every now and then someone wants to put a fourth leg on it, but then it's just a chair. And I feel like we should stick with the stool. Stick with the stool. <laughs> Absolutely. So what, what, and I, I want to be clear, careful when I talk about San Antonio, um, sometimes I'm talking about just the city. And I feel like sometimes we're talking about the county, which is, is it Bexar? I'm trying to remember now. What's the county? It's Bear County, B-E-A-R. Yeah. I think it, there's a lot of words in Texas that don't make sense to people outside Texas, but we have a lot of influence from the German community, but it's Bear. Okay. Uh, what just happened in September? What was the announcement a few weeks ago? The announcement a few weeks ago was that uh, several years of a collective impact model resulted in SA Digital Connects. There uh, used to be a handful of tech equity and digital inclusion advocates that worked on closing the digital divide in Bear County. Bear County is the county, the city of San Antonio is inside the county. Um, and then, um, you know, a few years ago, the Digital Inclusion Alliance, you know, formed. So we had a San Antonio Digital Inclusion Alliance that brought together a group of stakeholders. Then uh, Mayor Ron Nuremberg formed an Innovation Technology Committee and appointed a Digital Inclusion Liaison. And I got to serve in that role from beginning to end. Several policy and funding priority you know, meetings and hearings uh, took place officially at the city and the county level, but they also took place at the community level. And then the ecosystem expanded and more partners came in uh, from the city and the county and the, you know, nonprofit world and the corporate world. Some professional help was made available. So we, we made a huge investment um, in coordinating these efforts. We put the funding there and a lot of best in field initiatives popped up before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and also still ongoing in the pandemic. 
And that resulted in a um, 300 page plus digital inclusion roadmap, probably one of the largest of its kind in the country. Now, the way you described it, it makes it almost seem like it was destined to happen. And of course, this is just what happens, but it hasn't happened anywhere else. So <laughs> what, 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 made, what made Bear County um, you know, able to, to move in this direction? I think a lot of things happen that could be replicated across geographies uh, here in the United States. One, the city of San Antonio ad- adopted racial equity work you know, um, as a priority, we were going to do racial equity work. Like the council decided, they decided that that was something we were going to work on and digital inclusion falls under racial equity work. Uh, The city of San Antonio also has what they call an equity atlas. So you can go online and look at um, overlays of data sets that point you in the directions of the city where there are infrastructure, you know, ails that we need to address ASAP. Then I think also something that was unique to see San Antonio is there's a lot of people who care about this issue here. You know, not just myself. There are people like Jordana Barton and Mooney Ray Jester, who also are San Antonians. Uh, there's, you know, the list is long. And so I think that the amount of people who came together to care about this issue, which you see in other movement building work, was a catalyst for us, you know, putting our heads together and doing the work. Um, and it happened. It's a beautiful thing. Let's go back to last time I was in Texas with you when I was when I visited San Antonio. And at that point, you were working for uh, Councilmember Osuna, right? Um, what was happening back then? Um, is, is that even the middle of the story? Or is that closer to the beginning? The story I tell is I was actually in Washington, D.C. with people like you and Harold Feld and Malkia Cyril, and we were schlepping to work on all the things, you know, to close the digital divide for media justice, uh, you know, a long list of telecommunication policies, and uh, a cybersecurity professional named Leticia Ozuna called me and she said, you talked about there being a municipal broadband network in San Antonio. Is that true? And I said, yes. And she said, are we using it the way that we should be using it? And I said, we could be doing more. And she said, well, I think I might become the next city councilwoman for District 3. If I do, would you come work with me and let's see what we can do? And I said, sure. And and sure enough, like several days later, I was on my way back to San Antonio and working for Councilman Ozuna. And we put our heads together and we sat down with different people at the, at the city. And we said, what can we do within the law with the municipal broadband network? And we just, you know, gave it the language to talk about it. And that resulted in the San Antonio area broadband network paper. And it's a short, it's a short, maybe like one to three page white paper that says, here's some things we can try. Um, And, you know, several years later, that's another reason why the city of San Antonio has broadband access at most, if not all city and county owned buildings, um, hundreds of Wi-Fi access points in public parks, and also our via metropolitan transit system is also connected to that. So that if you ride the bus and you're on a long trip for 45 minutes, you have access to the internet. And the cool thing about the buses was that during the pandemic, in those neighborhoods that still have connectivity issues, those buses were able to go out in the community and be a part of the resiliency, um, the resiliency of trying to keep, keep people connected during the pandemic. The, the, the community network, the municipal network in San Antonio is something that people may not be familiar with because uh, it's primarily for what we call like institution, institutional anchors. And, um, and I think that's the way it was back then. Right. I mean, I, I remember, and this is, um, 
Um, this is a network that's owned by the city's electric utility, which the city owns, CPS. And they had fiber in a whole bunch of places. And in my sense was that there was a reluctance at that time to do too much, not because they would actually be violating the state law, but because they didn't want to be perceived as violating the state law, which is ultimately one of the bigger problems with these laws is that they cast a bigger shadow than they should because people don't do things they're allowed to do even um, though they're allowed to do them because they feel like maybe I'll get in trouble because I'm getting too close to that line. At least that's my sense. I think when that, when that beautiful community asset was built, it was a different time in Texas as it relates to public utility commission laws and policies. Mm-hmm. And it was seen as a major investment and what they were going to use it for was, you know, still being conceptualized. You know, I believe it was built in um, the early nineties is when that, dark fiber throughout the city was, was set out. And then fast forward, you know, different bills started making their way through the Texas legislature that were spearheaded by some of the largest telecommunication companies in the, in the country. And so the, the, the rules, you know, they, I, I would call them like a patchwork. They flexed up and down and um, you know, adoption was still early, right. Or the adoption Mm -hmm. was still early. So I think what ended up happening is someone like Councilwoman Zuna was also uh, in her seat at a time when Julian Castro was also mayor. And what we know about uh, Julian Castro is that he's a pretty innovative thinker, willing to try new things. And he was one of the people who signed on to thinking about what we could do more with that network. And so there were other council members too. So time, you know, right time, right place is what, what happened um, and really set the ground for trying to be more creative with that community asset. And, that, and one of the things that I'm fascinated by is I'm wondering about your uh, emotional state, like maybe six months or a year after the paper comes out, because I feel like at that time, you don't know that you've helped to set in motion things that are going to result in really impressive connectivity, better planning, better resources for people throughout the community. I'm curious if six months after the that, that short paper was published, did you feel like a frustration, like you were missing opportunities and, and that sort of thing? Or was there always just this sense of we're going to get this done? I think being in that position was stressful from beginning to end because from the beginning until the end, people were always telling us what we could not do. There was not <laughs> a lot of there was not a lot of uh, willingness. That's what we called it at the time. I remember us saying there is an unwillingness to to co- collaborating and coordinating or even trying, and we had to push through a lot of that unwillingness as to Latinx women in technology, which also at the time, very few of us, you know, several years ago, and really had to put our foot down and say, we want to try. <laughs> we want to try to see if this works. And if it doesn't, then then it doesn't. But if we, we want at least the opportunity to try and fail. And that's what we did is we moved forward. And I think at the time, the very first anchor institution that signed on to support us was in Texas A&M University, which was a pretty great partner to have um, in alignment with us. Um, and then over time, as the paper got out, there were a lot of people like in the background saying, you're going to get sued, you're going to get sued. And just always kind of looking over your shoulder. Um, and there were no lawsuits. None, none of us, none of us got sued. Um, the city did not get sued. And, um, and, and there's some really talented people in policy that actually work at CPS and the city. Uh, and through their expertise, they walked us through the legalities of being able to conceptualize some of those projects. And that I think 
is good to hear because I hear from people in other states that have laws as well, that they've just been convinced that they cannot do anything because of this uh, supposed lawsuit. You know, I, I don't want to belittle the threat of a lawsuit because cities really don't like to waste their efforts in the courts when they could be benefiting people. Uh, but we can't be intimidated either. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so what happens next? So the papers out there circulating Texas A&M signs on um, what else is happening? I mean, this to me also seems like it's a focus on kind of making sure the infrastructure is out there. Does the work on digital inclusion and the other legs of the stool, is that happening in parallel or how does that develop? I think that those of us who work on this issue are a little bit at a crossroads. Before the pandemic, this felt like a really lonely space. And a, a positive, one positive result of the pandemic is that the field has just busted open. There's, you know, Office of Innovation, Digital Inclusion, liaison, there's all these jobs popping up all over the country uh, to do this work. And even here in San Antonio, like that table has, has grown. We had, they had to build a bigger table. But I think now one is that we like, how do we follow through on the plans? You know, two, how do we uh, show those results to the community, which is what I advocate here locally is this plan is great, but how do we, how does the community see the results? Like, how are we going to visualize that something's actually happening? Three, how do we um, ensure that a lot of these resources that are being talked about at the state and federal level actually make their way to San Antonio so these projects can be completed? And I think the part that we kind of have, for the lack of better words, um, a pain point or a blind spot is how uh, how do we follow through with those projects with digital resiliency, which is kind of a new term that's coming around now, right? These remedies have to be built in a way that can adapt with the community as the community grows and also keeps the community safe because they deserve privacy and protections. So there's still a lot to do, even though a lot has been done. Yes, I have no doubt about that. There's, um, it's, uh, I, I feel like this work in this space is always like hiking uh, when you're like going up a hill and you're, you, you feel like you see the top and you get to the top just to see the next ridge line and, uh, oh, yep, still going up. <laughs> yep. No, that's a great way to uh, think about it because I describe it as, you know, working on tech equity is like using an ice pick to make ice, but chipping away at a glacier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I like mine better. So. <laughs> um the so let's talk about the infrastructure piece of it then so the city um has texas a&m signs up um the the city gets more bold over time it seems like is that right uh i actually used that word recently to describe the the city i agree i think the city is uh getting bolder i think that that could be attributed to the leadership you know, like who's the mayor and who's the city council, you know, we have a pretty progressive looking, you know, city council right now. There's also younger council members on there and there's older council members. And and I think that the willingness of the people that represent us matters on how fast or how slow these solutions are going to uh, unfold. One of the reasons I think you have that leadership is because you've helped a lot of organizations plug in. Uh, I think in a lot of cities, you have organizations that may not be technologically oriented who serve a community that desperately needs better broadband access. It's an open secret. Everyone knows it, but they don't really know how to plug in. You know, would you say that one of the secrets of San Antonio is helping those groups figure out how to plug in? Yes. I think that one of the one of the reasons why San Antonio is doing so well on this issue is because we have taken the time to um, 
brief people who are running for office at the local, state, and national level that represent San Antonians about tech equity and telecommunication policy issues. I, I can I can count myself for sure. I can speak for myself that whenever somebody runs for office, regardless of their political party affiliation, I say I want to talk to you about digital inclusion, and they think it's just the three legs of the stool. But I really want to like go deep with them because I want to support people who are going to advance the right policies and the right funding, you know, to work myself out of a job. It's not something that, that you've incorporated into the, the jobs that you're doing, because this predates your time with Oats. Now, it's always been my goal to be able to walk away from this issue. It's like the job is done. I don't know how other people um, work on this issue, but for me, I would, I don't want to be 80 years old saying like, we haven't done enough. Um, you know, I, I really want to be able to to say we did a great job. I, I want to connect every San Antonian. I don't know how to do it, but like that's what my goal is. My personal goal is. Yes. And that's it's re, it's reachable. I mean, we, we did that with telephone. We did it with electricity. Uh, we did it with water systems like <laughs> we can get there to where everybody has fair access to to Internet access and and confidence to know how to use it. Yeah, I think that if I could just say one thing about working at Oats and Senior Planet is when I got to meet Dr. Thomas Camber and Kim Harris, the reason why I was attracted to that program was because I got to work on all three legs of the stool and it was a program that I could do right now, right? It's not something that I had to plan for. I could stand up that program pretty quickly and know that I was chipping away at my iceberg with my community. And, you know, Senior Plan San Antonio has reached over 34,000 seniors since the program's been around. That's a big number for a digital inclusion program of its kind. It's a big number because numbers matter. And so when you, and we've measured, you know, loneliness and, you know, what, whether or not people feel connected. And so I'm really proud to have been able to have met the Oates family. Would you say that that work, which I sort of think of as if we think of the emergency broadband benefit as being uh, something that came along, like the work you did before that is kind of being pre-work, that you're able to take greater advantage of that program because you had all these connections and everything? Yeah, I mean, the good thing about being able to work with the talented people at Oats was knowing that there were people like in the curriculum team that could uh, you know, distill the emergency broadband program, you know, into a curriculum so that it could go out into the community so that the community can actually like apply for a federal subsidy. That's that work, you know, isn't easy, isn't easy to to do. Um, and so I think that that is an, another plus of being a part of an organization that understands all three legs of the stool. And if you if you go look at the agingconnected.org website, it explains why we're working on this issue. Why did, why is Oates, you know, working on closing the digital divide? Excellent. So let me just ask, how did the county get involved in this? Uh, and I'm I'm curious in part because I'm always entertained by the counties in which there's a lot of friction between uh, a powerful city within the county and the county itself. But in this case, it seems like the county and the city work together pretty well. Um, well, I can't speak for the county and the city on whether or not they, they work together well. <laughs> on the outside looking in, I would say that they do uh, because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a constituent. So I can only talk about what I what I see. I think, again, the same answer for the, the council is the leadership. So 
you know, our, our commissioners and the judge that lead the county over the last, you know, 30 years have been people that care about this issue. Judge Wolf, who is retiring, is 80 years old. He's been serving in that role, I think, 20 to 30 years. He opened the bibliotheque, which that's another great digital inclusion asset that we have in the community. Uh, he That was a public-private partnership to get digital literacy out into the community. Um, there was also Commissioner Wolf, who I shared with you that article that, you know, several years ago, you know, you would think a more conservative leader would not have those policy priorities for closing the divide, but like this commissioner knew what the issue was and knew how to write about it and talk about it in a way that persuaded more people to the issue, which is always a plus. So I think it, it comes back down to the, the people that we you know that we elected uh, to represent us on this issue. What I, what I come back to is like, is that just luck? I mean, you know, is it just like luck that Dallas didn't have those people and, and that San Antonio did? Or did they emerge from a specific set of circumstances that people helped to craft? No, I don't think it's luck. I, I And there are people who, who write about civic engagement in San Antonio and study it here and write books about it. But San Antonio has a, a history of civic engagement that goes back to the 1900s, you know, to the pecan shellers, you know, to an organization like the Esperanza Peace and Justice Center fighting for water, preserving, you know, housing and historical buildings. Like if anybody who spends any amount of time in San Antonio will run into a community activist and people who are involved in advocacy don't think activism is a bad word here. People are proud to be advocates for issues. So you doesn't take really long. You could be come, you could come to San Antonio today, you know, find a local restaurant and you'll run into somebody who works on some issue. And, and I think that that, you know, history of being so involved with our community is what what's led to us working on some of these, some of the biggest issues that affect our community. And I want to ask, what is a bibliotheque? Bibliotech is as is, uh, is it, what has a physical location. They have physical locations, um, but it's where uh, people can go to, you know, try out the latest de- devices and hardware. And I think I would have to look it up, but it has a like a digital library where you can download like some like one of the biggest digital libraries onto your phone or tablet or other device, and it's available at no cost to every San Antonian. That's cool. It's very cool. <laughs> so, is there anything else that I missed that we should we should cover? What are what are some of the concrete things that we're going to see San Antonio doing in in coming years to make sure that everyone's well connected? I think those of us who work on tech equity and digital inclusion and closing the digital divide are going to spend some time now going outside of our community to talk about how we did what we did. And I'm not just talking about myself. I think that the Office of Innovation at the city of San Antonio, you'll see the, those names popping up you know, on GovTech panels, you know, across the country, because I believe municipalities are going to want to know how did you move the needle? And I think that they should. I think that some people that are in the tech community that have joined to work on this issue, you'll also see their names, you know, popping up, you know, at conferences and summits. So I think that the the, the name, the names of the people who are working on this issue are, are going to start springing up all over the place. And what I I hope that results in people coming to the city of San Antonio to work with us on this issue. I hope that, you know, results in not just the federal resources, but private resources that can come to the city of San Antonio. Maybe this could be like a testing ground, you know, for some of these concepts, like a a real digital inclusion lab of trying and failing um, on some of these issues. Um, And I hope it also encourages people to move here. 
Um, and the social justice activist in me really hopes at the end of the day that it amplifies the stories of San Antonio that, that need to get out to attract those resources. So that's what I would, you know, that's what my hopes and dreams are for some of this. And that was going to be my last question, but you said something twice now that I want to, I'm going to just prompt you on. And that is um, try and fail. And you'd mentioned earlier that Leticia Osuna had said, let's try this, even if we fail. Uh, why aren't you afraid of failure? Most of us are, are really afraid of failure. And you seem to be embracing that you might be failing at some of this stuff. And I don't know if this word makes sense, but I believe that there is glamour in failure. I think it's more attractive to try and see if something works than to not try at all. It's, you know, that's how my mind works is that I actually feel something physically from not being able to try and and Councilwoman Ozuna was similar that, you know, she could put something in front of her. And again, also, I want to give credit to the mayor at the time, Helene Castro, you could put something in front of her. And if it was pragmatic and it was viable, then they as policymakers were, were willing to try. And I think that there's two things. If I, when I'm on the outside looking into other communities that are doing this work, I see two things. I see that, the unwillingness to try and fail. And I also see that there is a lack of building trust in local communities. And so I think you need both. And one thing that I mm-hmm. think was successful in San Antonio that you'll see in that digital inclusion roadmap is that we point out the trust part. Um, and that is something that comes from movement building work. If you study people like Adrian Marie Brown and emergent strategy or the best and worst practices of relational organizing with Stacey Abrams is that you can only move these big ideas at the speed of trust. And so that trust is basically AKA grassroots organizing is really getting in there and rolling up your sleeves and doing that hard step-by-step field work. Excellent. I feel like there's a joke in there about the wallpaper on your computer being the Hindenburg crashing into the Titanic, but now there's such a good (laughs) answer that was like, I just, I can't use it. I know. I mean, well, it's also, you know, back to the thing, what we were talking about lawsuits, right? Like we, I mean, that's every day. Like, I feel like it used to be whenever you worked on telecom policy or technology, the threat of lawsuits would, you know, make the hair stick up on the you know side of your neck or something. But now it's like, that just seems like the go-to top line messaging for thwarting efforts of advancement across sectors, right? You might get sued, you might get sued. And it's like, oh, will you? I mean, like, because these all of, there's all of these things popping up across the country and there's threats of lawsuits, but there's not really any lawsuits, you know, those kinds of lawsuits, you know, happening. And I don't think that's ever going to go away, but I think that like the people who work on this issue have become a little bit more like, you know, resilient, you know, to that threat of not even trying. Mm-hmm. These are difficult conversations <laughs> to have. <laughs> yes. No. And I've, I've talked with people from other large cities across the United States and, and there's this fear and you're right. There's a lack of trust. Um, and, um, and I just, I think a, without even me having to suggest it, you've, you've really provided a, a strong uh, reason that people should consider moving to San Antonio if they're relocating. <laughs> Sounds like a wonderful place. In a lot oh of yeah. I mean, if, if, if anybody here in San Antonio wants to put me in charge of convincing people to move here, I would do a great job. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, tacos. I mean, that's the number one reason, you know, to move here is tacos. All right. Well, next time I come down, I know what I'll be eating. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dion. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.